Season 4, Episode 34 of Brackets, Bubble, and Pit Steelers. Your favorite college basketball podcaster's favorite college basketball podcast. Jonathan Litskin is here with me. My name is Sam Fetterman. And guys, we have a big show coming up tonight. And we have a big show coming tomorrow. We have big shows coming up all weekend. Tomorrow night, we will be joined by Lafayette head coach Mike McGarvey. The Leopards are 7-0 and in league play. Nobody saw this coming after they started 1-12. and We will ask him all about that. Jonathan, but we have to start this show with our favorite three-word refrain. Yes. Fear the Phoenix. Green Bay is in first place in the Horizon League in sole possession with an eight and three record. Sundance Wicks, what a job he has done for UWGB. It's just year one, but this program has made so much progress tonight. They didn't even have Noah Reynolds playing and they're playing his best game. That's the transfer. Hold on one second. Yeah, I'll once well Sam gets that I'll talk a little bit about Foster Wonders was the Kenton Palm MVP tonight off the bench, six five sophomore. That was not someone saying I was too loud. I am very surprised. What what, what was that all about then? Somebody had like a pizza day going. It was like, do you want it? I'm like, no, I'm doing something. My, my I think I know what the second thing is gonna be in the outro. <laughs> it's certainly under consideration. My my mind just juggles back and forth between talking about basketball and like what I'm going to use for the second phrase in the. <laughs> All right, well, we got to fear the Phoenix tonight. I mean, they didn't even get a big performance from Noah Reynolds. That's their right. player of the year candidate in that league. And tonight it didn't matter because the rest of this Green Bay team really stepped up. Twenty assists to nine turnovers. And they held Oakland to 59 points. This is a team that plays at a deliberate pace. And they're one of the better defensive teams in the league. And they're also one of the better offensive teams in the league at at their pace. Tonight, it was all about Foster Wonders, the sophomore from, from Michigan. He transferred him from Southern Illinois. 19 points tonight. He's scored 15-plus in three of his last four games. He's hit 17 threes in his last four games. This is... What Green Bay is looking for for that contribution off the bench, it makes them so much more dangerous. He actually led them in minutes tonight because this is a Green Bay team that shoots a lot of threes. They are one of the best three-point shooting teams in all of college basketball. Wonders is a big reason for that. He's a guy that's shooting over 46% on the season. Reynolds is shooting 38%. They got a bunch of shooters. They shoot a lot. They shoot well. And it's what's made them so dangerous in the Horizon League this year. They're sitting at eight and three. They kind of went on a. It was fifty to fifty, and then boom, it was sixty-one to fifty. Yeah, and their defense was the big talking point tonight. Trey Townsend for Oakland, he's their Player of the Year candidate, um, an All League guy, and they shut him down. Nine nine points was zero of two from three, three of six from two. 84 offensive rating. I mean, that's the recipe to beat a team like like Oakland, who ranks higher than you, but obviously you took first place from them tonight. This is just such a fun story. Like, 
we continue to get to talk about this team and we continue to get to fear the Phoenix because like, like this is one of, if not the best story in college basketball this year from, from a team perspective, this team was absolutely dreadful the last couple years. And now they've completely turned it around They're They were 215th entering tonight in Ken Palm. Now they're 203 after the win. So it's just so impressive. And then the other thing is Rocket Watts can no longer hurt me. They won six Horizon League games over the last two seasons. They won eight total games in the last two seasons under Will Ryan. This year, they've won 13 games. They're, it's the most wins since 2020 with Link Darner. And Sundance Wicks has this program in a really, really good spot going forward. Um, they ha- they took some tough losses in the non-conference, but man, eight and three in the Horizon League, they're a legit threat. This is a Horizon League that at the beginning of the season, we all, like me, you, Nick Lawrenson from Mid-Major Madness, a bunch of other folks thought was going to be a top-heavy league with Youngstown State, Wright State, and Milwaukee at the top of the pack. But Milwaukee's kind of struggled. They're 5-4. and four. Youngstown 7 and 3. They're still really good. But the surprise teams in this league tonight, in this league this year, have been Oakland and Green Bay. And they put on a great display of basketball tonight. I, I was impressed with the resolve of, of Sundance Wicks team. And I mean, Greg Campy's been doing this forever. We know that guy can coach. Yeah. I mean, he's the longest tenured coach in the country, right? Or at yes. least up there. Yeah. He is. So it's. Just ridiculous, the path the league has taken this year to get to this point. I mean, some of the teams that we thought might be on the top side like aren't quite as good, and then you just have like this is this Green Bay team is very similar in some aspects to what Amir Abdurrahim did at Kennesaw State, except the process was much quicker, and they're not like quite as good as Kennesaw was last year, but. They were, I believe, 361 in Ken Palm last year, 343 the year before, and now they're up to around 200 this year. It's just remarkable how quickly they got this turned around. I have a vote for the Henry Iba National Coach of the Year Award for the USBWA. Mm-hmm. You better believe Sundance Wicks is in consideration. Yeah, I mean, he should be. I mean, I don't know exactly who I'm going to pick for Coach of the Year. I mean, John Calipari's got to be in the conversation with what he's been doing with the freshmen at Kentucky. Shaheen Holloway's in the conversation. I think um, Dan Hurley is is in the conversation. There's a lot of coaches in that conversation um, in terms of what they've been able to do. Uh, Mitch Henderson has to be in the conversation. David and I were talking. David and I talked. Josh talk about this. David and I actually talked about this yesterday on our show. There's really no like high major coach. It's like a clear cut favorite for coach of the year. Like last year, like everyone kind of knew it was Jerome Tang. Like they were picked last in their league and ended up being a three seed. So, yeah, I think Kansas State definitely um, showed that. I think sorry, Jerome Tang definitely. Deserved it last year. Shaka Smart, I think, got the award, though. Oh, that's right. He might have. And um, he also deserved it. He was excellent last year. 
he had his moments, I think, at the times this year. Um, okay. But, I mean, Hubert Davis, the way that he's done with, with this Carolina team, Mark Pope with BYU. Oh, there's a lot of coaches that have had some excellent years. And that, that's not to take away from what some, some great mid-major coaches have been doing. Bucky McMillan at Samford has been phenomenal, mm-hmm. as we know. And it, there's there's some programs that have been really impressive this year at some really tough places to win. I mean, Eric Olin at UC San Diego, just completely out of nowhere. They're really good in that conference. And they're actually playing in the second half right now against UC Riverside. They're down by five, it looks like. I have it on. You have that game on? I have that. That has taken the main TV, and Santa Clara Pepperdine is now on the other TV. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into some WCC talk later with Josh Link in the show. But one other game that I know you watched tonight. Also, re- real quick before we go on, Hubert Davis wouldn't be a candidate for Coach of the Year for me at the national level. Why not? Because I don't believe in giving Coach of the Year to like a guy that kind of created his own adversity. Okay. Like that's no fair. doubt he's done a good no doubt he's done a good job this year, but like like the reason we're all so impressed with North Carolina's turnaround was like kind of his fault. Okay. So I I, I think yeah, I can yeah. I think I can get behind that. But yeah, what what game are we talking about that I watch? Um, you know exactly what we're talking about. It's Vermont's league and it yeah. always has been. Jonathan well, the Catamounts tonight go into UMass Lowell, play pretty bad basketball for the last couple minutes of that game. They had it in the bag. They blew it. They brought it right back. And here is Vermont, undefeated in the America East. They go into their biggest challenger's house. They don't need their A game, and they still win. Not to be like... Mr. Negative here, but like based on the basketball that I watched tonight, like it, it's pretty clear to me that the winner of the America East should be a 16 seed. Like, I don't know maybe, if you've seen some of the other leagues. Like, maybe I'm not watching enough, like SWAC and Southland, or I you're, guess Southland is McNeese. I, you're definitely not watching enough SWAC, but that's a good thing. I just we I think we have not talked a minute about the swack on this show aside from Grambling. Yeah, other outside of inside jokes. But like I think it was an ugly basketball game. I t- I texted you like Vermont just doesn't have the horses that it did a couple years ago. Like the, that team a couple years ago was legit like one of the best mid-major teams in the country and I didn't think UMass Lowell particularly played very well either. Vermont kind of gifted them that game at the end of regulation to get it to over. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about UMass Lowell tonight is Abdul Kareem Koulibaly is still working his way back from injury. That's the first team um, all-league preseason guy, and he only played nine minutes tonight. He didn't score, Um, and it wasn't foul trouble. I mean, this is a guy who's very, very much on a minutes restriction. And, I mean, Pat Duquette, when I spoke with him this week, he was like, yeah, we got to get him back in the flow. He's not in the flow right now. Um, But he was a stud last year, and he was a stud before the injury. He was – he scored 19 points in that game against Arizona State that they they really should have won. 
But UMass Lowell's kind of made a habit of getting in some of these wild games. Like they did it against UMass Lowell. Um, they did it against Arizona State, as we mentioned. Um, Central Connecticut, they lost on a buzzer beater. They've kind of made their own luck with some of these losses in terms of just poor decision-making down the stretch. Mm-hmm. When they win, they tend to win by a lot. And that's fine. They're they're a great basketball team. They've also had some close wins. They beat Georgia Tech on the road by three. They they beat BU on the road by eight. They beat UMBC by four. But they Vermont handed them that game and they didn't take it. Yeah, totally agree. And like I know like the kind of narrative coming out of this game is like, oh yeah, Vermont's league, league again. They gotta go turn around and play Bryant still over the weekend and that that game's on the road too and like you you talk about how like vermont doesn't really have the horses like they used to like bryant has legit talent they just obviously have had some adversity this year with gallo or not gallo um what's what's their form huh jared grasso grasso that's the name i'm looking for i Um, i covered bryant against towson at um at UBS and was mildly impressed like mm-hmm. they won that game but that was T- Towson gave them that game um Towson should have won that game they were up by 8 with 3 minutes left um but they won that game without Sharif Gross Bullock who is their best player and mm-hmm. that was impressive He's played in pretty much every game aside from that. Raphael Pinzon was excellent. Earl Timberlake has done a lot of cool stuff. This Bryant team is so unique in terms of the, the basically their entire lineup is 6'5 and 6'6 six, six from 1 to 5. It's so fascinating to watch. What percentage of college basketball fans do you think still know that Doug Eddard is playing college basketball? Four. Like, I think I agree. Maybe a little higher, but like, it's just funny to look at. No, I mean, he's fine. He was never, he was never much more than this. No, no, no. no, Okay. He he was, he was a good deal more than this, but like, he he wasn't, he played a lot more minutes. For a, that same that St. Peter's team had some players that were definitely playing below their weight class. I mean, yeah, I mean, Juju's been a star in the SEC. KC was a star in the Big East. Daryl Banks hasn't played a hasn't really been great this year for Bonaventure, but he was awesome last year. He was all a ten last year. Yeah, Matthew Lee um, had He's a really Missouri strong. State. Yeah, he he kind of struggled. He's kind of struggled since coming back from injury. Um, he was he was really good early in the year. Yeah, the Drame twins are in the A10. Latrell Reed and Isaiah Dasher both stepped up into and eventually became all Mac caliber. I mean, Reed this year has been all Mac caliber essentially. Um and Dasher was all Mac caliber last year. Um Clarence Rupert's at Southern Illinois playing 54% of the minutes. Basically everyone that played for that team is at a, is doing really well right now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I don't really have anything else on the America East. So. Um, I think that this game just kind of shows John Becker still got it. Like, this guy still runs this league. He ran some great stuff in overtime. And I think his guys just outlasted the Lowell guys. Like, Lowell got tired in that overtime period. They were really not ready for another five minutes of basketball, I, I didn't think. Vermont came out there and knew what they needed to do. Because this is that's the team that's in there. I didn't think Becker's end-of-game management was good at all. Like, especially the final two possessions. But... I, I, I mean, kind of think he he just thought his guys – he trusted his guys to hold. And Bogues saw Lane. And, look, if that, that shot goes in and they take the lead, nobody's talking about it. I kind of disagree. But, like, it's based – but, like, the reason I disagree is based on a hypothetical. Like, what if UMass Lowell comes down and hits a three for the win at the buzzer and, like, they didn't hold for the last shot? It's possible. It's it's complete hypo- it's complete hypothetical. I just I would have managed that situation differently. I, I get it. I get it. I just also, think. Also, um, you know how I told you like a week ago that I have like one one college basketball player that follows me. Who? Salton Miguel. Yeah, yeah. I actually just realized it's two. Who's the second? Latrell Reed follows me. <laughs> You you know why? Do you know why? Why? Remember the video that I tweeted that blew up about Tyler Perry? Oh yes, he followed me from that. Yeah. Speaking of Tyler Perry, great segue. It was an awesome crowd at the Super Pit tonight. That worked out. Ted Emmerich was so good on the mic for this one, as North Texas picked up a huge win against SMU. Shouts to Ross Hodge. Yeah, the man, the, man in charge, the man in charge changes the system does not. I, I like and, feel felt like I was watching the same North Texas team as last year tonight. And yeah, I mean, I've watched plenty of North Texas basketball this year. Um, this I mean Ross Hodge was one of the most successful JUCO coaches in the country. He he only coached five years at JUCO, but he only lost 24 games. He's been on Division One staffs ever since. He was Grant McCaslin's right-hand man all those years at North Texas. So he's been the man at JUCO. So he knows how to recruit hidden gems. He's been a right-hand at this program for so many years. He was the obvious choice for this job, and he's proving why. Because this is a team that's now 5-1 and one in American Conference play. They've got a big game coming up on Sunday in Boca Raton at FAU. We'll talk about that Sunday night. We have a big guest for Sunday night. I'm sure you'll, I'm sure you'll be excited for that. Yeah, we got some really good guests coming up. Yeah. But, yeah, it's kind of been a lighter schedule so far in American Conference play for North Texas. Maybe not the lightest, but lighter than lighter than a couple teams, I would say. Um, yeah, I mean they haven't had to play Memphis or FAU yet. So. Yeah, and they, they their SMU game was at home. Tulane was at Tulane home. Tulane game was at home. But like they they're really good. Jason Edwards can score the crap out of the ball, and we knew this from Dodge City last year. 
um, eventually we're going to start highlighting some Juco guys on the show, like this year's Juco guys that we think are going to make a big impact, right? Yeah, I mean, you have to. Like, there, there are guys from that level every year that come in and they make an impact, whether it's in a year, year after. But, like, Sean East is a Juco kid. He's leading Mizzou in scoring. And I know Mizzou's not good, but, like, it's a kid that was at Juco leading a high major in scoring. I believe Nick Pringle was a Juco kid as well at Alabama. He's having a solid year for them. Yeah, um, Jason Edwards is a bucket. Ruben Jones does a lot of stuff. Um, He came back tonight, 20 minutes. He didn't have his best game. Um, And, I mean, I thought Robert Allen was impressive tonight. And the guy who I really thought made the difference, though, was John Bugs. 18 minutes. Strange, he had some huge, shots, shot threes, huge shots. He made the big shots when they needed them the most. And this is this has been who John Bugs has always been from UMass. Um, he didn't where he didn't play very much to you to JUCO to UTSA. He's always been a dude who lives for the big moment. He's one of the best shooters that you've never heard of. Um, shot thirty nine percent last year on one hundred ninety one attempts shooting 42% on 50 attempts this year in just 11 games. John Bugs, remember that name. Yeah, this North Texas team just has a lot of guys that you should probably know the name of. Like, even after losing the talent that they did from last year's team, it's just the same recipe. And, like, I I didn't think SMU was bad tonight at all. That was an electric atmosphere that they had to go into, and Zurich Phelps just kind of willed them down the stretch. He got to the free throw line a ton. I honestly kind of thought North Texas, like, like I kind of honestly thought that the refs kept SMU in the game a little bit. Like, I thought there were a couple really questionable fouls down the stretch. And North Texas in the last five or so minutes just looked like the better team, despite what the score may say. Yeah, um, I, I I like North I like North Texas. I also like SMU. I mean, Zerk mm-hmm. Phelps is awesome. Sam Williamson is really, really good. I mean, that's a guy that just shouldn't be in the American Conference. Um, Chuck Harris, another guy. Like, these, they have guys that just straight up shouldn't be in the American Conference. Right. Like, they are filled with high major talent. And, I mean, hey, the American is probably, like, a tier above most other mid-major conferences in, in that sense, that there's yeah. just a bunch of high major talent. It's, it's a high mid-major, if we want to use that term. I mean, there's a guy who was getting minutes for Kansas. That's like the fourth option for East Carolina. I mean, there was a guy that didn't really do anything tonight for SMU that was legit playing a little bit down the stretch for Tennessee last year. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the whole deal when it comes to this. Um, when it comes to this conference, it's there's a lot of really talented teams. It's a it's a good league in terms of if you just recalibrate your expectations for it and you don't think of it the way that like Memphis fans or those people <laughs> <laughs> want you to think about it. If you don't think about the league as like Memphis from a Memphis perspective or an FAU perspective, it becomes a really good league. That's my take on the American. 
I don't even think it's like an FAU perspective, but if you, I don't even think it's a like Memphis perspective. It's a singular Memphis fans perspective. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, it feels like there's a certain Memphis fan out there that kind of devalues the opponent on a nightly <laughs> basis. This league's good. No, yeah, it's it's a, it's fun too. There was not much high major basketball action tonight, but no. there was one game that you had an eye on in Arizona State and Oregon. Tell me about that game. I didn't have any eyes on it. Yeah, I mean, I didn't watch it because it was on Pac-12 Network, but Arizona State jumped out to a lead in the first half, and it was just like kind of like what the hell is Oregon doing? Like Oregon's a lot healthier than they were a couple weeks ago, so they're probably still working back into their rotations to, in a sense and just figuring out like, who they want to play down the stretch because the reality is like you can't play 10 guys in March unless like you're 2015 Kentucky and have 10 NBA players. So, I mean, Arizona state jumped out to a lead here. Jose Perez was really good tonight. Finished to 20 points, had 13 in the first half, but down, like down the stretch, second half, Oregon outscored them by a bunch. I mean, it was, Kuznard had a big game. Infali Dante, who's recently back from injury, was good. Bartholomew chipped in with 12. Didn't get the absolute greatest out of Jackson Shellstad tonight, despite playing 27 minutes. But one of the things about Oregon, they have 10 play- legit playable guys that probably isn't going to serve them well for like playing top tier competition, but playing against a team like Arizona state, you have a bunch of guys you can turn to and that's what they did tonight. Yeah. I mean, they're six and two enough said right there. I mean, swept on a mountain trip. Okay. Happens. It's a mountain trip. It's the toughest road trip in the big, in the pack 12, but win every other game, they've, they were four and two, they're 14 and five. They've won 10 of their last 13. That's really impressive. Um, they look like they're building a tournament resume for themselves. They're going to enter a tie at the end of tonight with Arizona for first place in the conference, and that game for at Oregon is being played Saturday. Yeah, we'll definitely have um, a lot of coverage of that Saturday night. But we got a guest joining us right now. Josh, how you doing? I'm good. How are you all doing tonight? Good. Oh, we're good. Thanks for we're joining the show, Josh. <laughs> Thanks for having me. We just talked some mid-major basketball. Now let's talk some Gonzaga basketball. Yes, sir. So the Zags tonight um, return to the kennel. Packed crowd, as always. How many straight sellouts? Uh, I think it dates back to, like, the the 90s at this point or something. Like, it's it's pretty absurd. Um, tw- this, this was our 28th straight win over San Francisco dating back to 2012. They haven't beat us in Spokane since 1989. So, uh, you know, it's it was a tough win, but you know, it feels good to continue those streaks for sure. I mean that that's that's just a wild stat right there. I mean, the fact of the matter though that Gonzaga is still the class of the WCC at the moment, even with St. Mary's recent surge. You got the five and one record. They're the number one team in the conference in Ken Palm. There's still not much of a bench, but when you have five guys as good in that starting lineup as Gonzaga does, they're tough to beat. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it's not, everybody's going to talk about it. It's not your typical Gonzaga team uh, over the last several years. They're not number one in the country. They're not, you know, Drew Timmy's gone, whatever, you know, all, all the, the narratives are out there. And, you know, I, I think, I think for, for some national, uh, you know, college basketball media, like it's, it's easy. It's e- It's like low hanging fruit, you know, uh, at this point. But the reality is, is that that Gonzaga is is still a tough team to beat, especially at the kennel. Um, and in the WCC, like in you know, until St. Mary's wins the conference outright, it's still Gonzaga's league, you know. And and that may happen this year. St. Mary's is is really talented. You know, they had a rough stretch in the non conference. Uh, with losses to like Weaver State and Missouri State, but uh, but yeah, they've turned it on late, and you know I never bet against Randy Bennett. You know it's he's he's an exceptional head coach, uh, but obviously, you know Mark Few's been here, he's done that. Uh, this has been his league night in night out for twenty five years, and and for good reason. Um, so you know I I trust Anton Watson, I trust the leadership of Ryan Nemhart on the court. Um, you know, obviously we need to make our free throws down the stretch so that I don't have a heart attack this year. But uh, other than that, you know, I'm overall, I, I'm still really upbeat on the this team's tournament odds. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's probably a one-bid league, though, at this point. Would you mm-hmm. say it's trending mm-hmm. in that direction? It, it's possible, although with, with the way that St. Mary's has turned it on and as good as they look in the net, um, it may morph into a fringe two-bid league, depending upon how the chips fall for other teams down the stretch, uh, you know, in bracketology. Um, I I think, you know, for us, we just need to start accumulating quad one wins because right now there there are none. And, you know, obviously we have, uh, you know, games at San Francisco, at St. Mary's, at Kentucky down the stretch. And if we can find a way to win one of those, or rather a couple of those uh, before the WCC tournament, it will make things a little bit easier on on Selection Sunday. By the way, double overtime. Denver just took a 111-110 lead. South Dakota inbounds. They are not going to get a shot off. Denver wins it. 111-110 in double overtime. Tommy Bruner, the leading scorer in the country. 49 points. Shouts to Tommy wow. freaking Bruner. We'll, okay, we'll get into back. that later. But, but, I mean, it's it's not just him, by the way. Shout out Caleb Stewart. 44 points. Okay, so back to um Gonzaga real quick. I, I'm sure we'll talk about that game more um after Josh is done here. But to give some like actual game analysis, I was really impressed with the Gonzaga tonight. I thought San Francisco got the game to the point of like, we want to play this way, kind of muck it up, be really physical. Mm-hmm. And at first, like it kind of seemed like that was definitely benefiting San Francisco, but in the second half specifically, they got the ball a ton to EK and Watson and both those guys were able to match San Francisco's physicality on the surface, like 10 of 18 on layups doesn't look super great, but I thought the way Gonzaga played in the second half was every bit what they need to do. And like, it was just a very impressive adjustment from not just Mark few, but the actual players too. Yeah. You know, I I feel like there was a, there was an emphasis, especially towards the, that, that run that happened, uh, you know, before 
the final couple minutes where things really slowed down, uh, where Gonzaga started uh, kind of just hitting EK on the you know the short roll. Uh, in the pick and screen, and it and it's it, it's it started to like it just looked like Gonzaga basketball. It started to feel more comfortable, and at that point, San Francisco just kind of lost the game script. Um, obviously, down the stretch, Marcus Williams was able to hit some incredible shots to keep them real close. But uh, but yeah, I, you know, one thing about this team's identity this year that a lot of people don't really know, and maybe you can't see just by looking at Ken Palm numbers is Gonzaga is actually, I think, a better defensive team than they are offensive team this year, uh, which is not generally the case. Usually we're offensive first. Uh, maybe the lone exception would be 2017 when we led the the nation in defense uh, efficiency. But, you know, this this team has an identity on that end of the floor. So when, when a team like San Francisco uh, wants to try to get physical and muck things up, it's not always necessarily a hundred percent in their favor as it has been in past years. Um, so, you know, Gonzaga was able to kind of stick in there and regardless of, of how many times San Francisco was kind of able to, you know, uh, stop us from getting on any spurts through the middle part of the game. Uh, when that spurt did finally happen, it was, it was enough to finally put us over the edge. Yeah. I mean, what I think about this Gonzaga team is they are, they're, they're more physical this year because their identity through their heart and soul is Anton Watson. Mm-hmm. And like last couple of years, nothing against Drew Timmy, but they kind of didn't dodge the soft allegations. Yeah. And it felt like they weren't. And it honestly felt like through the first half of the season, like Washington, UConn, they, they weren't really dodging the soft allegations there. But tonight they really dodged the soft allegations. Yeah. I thought they played super hard. They played physical. They got into their they got into bodies. They they were not afraid. There's team this team has no bench. So there's the just the body fatigue when you play as physical as the Zags team does, sure, that'll creep in. But they fight. Yeah. They can come from they can come from behind, they can come from ahead. They'll, they'll fight. And Anton Watson, and I've been a huge fan for over a year now. You've probably been a huge fan for like a decade since <laughs> like sixth grade because he's from Spokane. Absolutely. Of course he is. Um, this, this is – I'd take him as the heart and soul of any team in the country. Yeah. He I, is an you, engine you on, on the head. He's an engine on offense. Yeah. He means – he is what – Gonzaga basketball should look like. Now, yeah. he shouldn't have to be the best player on a Gonzaga team, but he is what Gonzaga basketball should look like. Yeah, I, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that he is the heart and soul, the identity, the, um, like you said, he's he's Mister Spokane. He's been there, you know, running the ship uh, at Gonzaga Prep and then now Gonzaga for eleven years, basically, and. Um, you know, the the reality, though, is like you said, you know, it's it's hard having him as your number one option simply because that's not really necessarily his game. He's not typically your bucket getter, although 
he has at times this year become the de facto bucket getter for Gonzaga. So, you know, against San Francisco or uh, Santa Clara, excuse me, he left everything on the court. He literally collapsed at the end of the game uh, with the crowd rushing the court and they had to like pick him up and carry him off the court. He, he just played so incredibly hard in that game. Um, but, you know, to also to your point about uh, the depth and the concerns about, you know, fa- body fatigue, um, really it, it begins and ends in the backcourt because, you know, Ryan Nemhart and Nolan Hickman are both in the top 100, I believe, in percentage of minutes played. Um, top 65. Yeah, in the country. And, uh, and and really, you know, Dusty Stromers are only guard off the bench right now uh, because, um, you know, Luka uh, Kronovic has been out with injury. And it's just it's difficult because you you can see it. Their legs kind of give out at the end of the game. Shots stop falling. Um, you know, even even with Ryan at the at the line, you would think those are automatic free throws for him at the end of a game because he's an 80 plus percent shooter. And and the reality is, is that he's just so tired and it's 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 hard for guys to find that that extra push, you know, when they're playing 40 minutes a night, basically. So um yeah depth depth has obviously been a concern uh losing steel venters at the beginning of the year right before the season started was was absolutely catastrophic for this team um but you know i feel like the guys have really rallied they've they've fought and and that's the thing to me and i mentioned this on on twitter earlier tonight um this team the thing that gives me hope you know, regardless of the lack of shot makers regardless of some of the rebounding concerns we've had this year it's the fight that they've shown down the stretch in every single game they played, whether it's UConn, Washington, uh, San Diego State, Santa Clara, uh, this game against San Francisco. They show up. They fight hard down the stretch. Sometimes it's not quite enough, but overall they're just always uh, digging at the their opponent, trying to find a way to create that, that victory towards the end of a game. Yeah, I mean, if you look a couple months ago, if you look, say, August, what we thought this Gonzaga rotation would look like. We thought they would have Kranovich healthy. We thought they would have Venters healthy. And we thought they would have Marcus Adams. Yeah. And that's that's three guys that can be guard slash wing that they just don't have at this right. point. And, I mean, look, you can you, they can go to Ben Gregg. They can go to Braden Huff. The front court depth isn't the issue. It's the back court depth. Yeah. If they had those three guys healthy and ready – we might be talking a different story about this Gonzaga team. I don't think any uh, Venters is obviously a major, major difference maker in that sense, but I don't th- like, I don't think Kranovich or Adams is going to make waves year one. Yeah. But like, and I like Kranovich. I think he'll be really good down the road. Jonathan, you're on this as well. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's He's got not- some oxy. <laughs> yeah. Um, eventually he'll get there, but just having him healthy would be so important for what yeah. Gonzaga wants to do. And I, I don't want to, I don't think this is, I don't think this is like all on Mark few um, for building the roster. Cause he built the roster thinking he'd have those three guys. Mm-hmm. I also think that he built the roster thinking Ryan Nemhard could be a true alpha. He hasn't. That's fine. Graham Ike has been not able to play 35 minutes a night, 30 minutes a night. And so he's not a true alpha. This team doesn't have a true alpha, which kind of 
brings you brings me back to the point that I'm going to make that Josh made earlier, where they do have an alpha is on defensive end in Anton Watson. And that comes back to the point. This is a defensive team. It's going to yeah. take a while to get used to, and they can still score a heck of a lot of points. And they scored a hundred in like their three of their last seven games, 80 multiple times. But yeah, this it's, a, is, it's a top 10 scoring offense in the country, even with some of the struggles with shooting that we've had. But this is a defensive team. Yes. It's a defensive team first. And I, 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 think, I think if you identify or if you, if you, if you recognize that identity and, and the team rallies around that, especially come March, that, that is the, that can be something that, that pulls the team to victory. I think it limits the ceiling. Obviously, like you said, there's no there's no offensive alpha. So there's nobody who's going to go off most of the time for 30-plus points. Um, so you can't necessarily just outshoot your way out of a game. But but what you can do is stop other teams from being comfortable and, and their alpha going off for 30-plus points in game. And maybe that helps to keep Gonzaga close. And if they can fight down the end – there's there's potential there for for something to happen in March. Yeah, I mean Jonathan Mobo, eight points tonight. That's one of the best players in all of college basketball. He had eight points. Yeah. Because you throw a guy like Anton Watson on him, that that's his body. That's his body equal. And that's a guy that moves like maybe okay. Nobody really moves like Mobo, but that's a guy that can move with Mobo. And then you can switch. He you can switch a little bit. You can just kind of scheme him out. And, I mean, it was obviously other guys kind of stepped up for them. San Francisco played a good game. And I'm excited to see the rematch on February 29th. Hashtag leap year. Um, but that Gonzaga's final three games are brutal. Yeah. Santa Clara at San Francisco at St. Mary's. That's brutal. And then they'll probably – They'll probably get like six days off for the WCC tournament semifinals because they'll probably finish top two. Um, but the rest of the WCC. Um, what do you think of San Francisco tonight? Yeah, I I, I think they showed uh, heart. I think that Chris Gerlison has a really solid team overall. Um, you know, Moba obviously is like you said, he's he's probably the WCC player of the year at this stage. You know, obviously the last couple of games have been a little tougher for him against really uh the stiffer competition in the conference. But you know, these are those were San Francisco's two, if you think about it, probably their two toughest games all year because they're both the road games. Um, and you know, I obviously the game at San Francisco for them against us this year is going to be a chase center, which kind of changes things for them. I'm not really sure what that's going to look like. I'm so used to the, the, you know, raucous war Memorial Hilltop games, but uh, you know, this, it's going to be an interesting stretch run for them. And I, I just think, I think there's a lot more talent on this roster uh, than we, anybody really anticipated for San Francisco coming into the year. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, think Sam, you and I both had this team top 100, right? Coming into the yeah. year, they they've definitely surpassed my expectations, despite being higher on them. Like they just have a lot of talent for a, a WCC team. Like Magba has been a one of the biggest surprises in the country, and then I actually was pretty impressed with Ryan Beasley tonight. I know just a just a freshman, but I think he'll be 
a really good player there if he sticks around. Yeah, um, Isaiah Hawthorne had a good game tonight as well, and I think they need him. They they need they they need Isaiah Hawthorne to be a consistent bench contributor in order for this team to hit their ceiling. And I think they need to kind of get the same out of Beasley. Um, he's been I like what I've seen from him recently because this is. This is a deeper team, obviously, than Gonzaga. Pretty much everyone in the country is at this point. But they still, I think, could use some more consistency from their bench scoring. And if you're getting that from Hawthorne, if you're getting that from Beasley, I think you're in a good spot. Yeah. I think um, another guy to keep an eye on, too, um, uh, the, the Mongolian uh, – I forget what his nickname – how, how they say yeah, yeah. Mongolian Mike. Yeah, Mongolian Mike. There you go. He's absolutely. Uh, I think he's kind of like an X factor for them because if he gets going, especially late in WCC play, uh, with his ability to shoot from outside, you know the length he provides. Um, like I, th- I feel like he could kind of push them in a different direction and and kind of you know help them find a way to win some of those games down the stretch uh, that otherwise would give them a challenge. So, you know, I, I overall, like I said, I, I think. I think the whole roster's a lot more talented than than most people anticipated coming into WCC play. Um, and Coach uh, Gerlison, honestly, like the job he's done to con- to carry the mantle for Todd Golden after he left for Florida um, has been really nothing short of miraculous for San Francisco. The recruiting that they've done in the portal, um, the job that Kyle Bankhead did to help get Mobo in from. Uh, you know, in, in the transfer portal, like all, all of that was like just absolutely sensational for that program. Yeah. Um, and is there a team in this league that you can, that you see as like a sleeper outside of the top four? I, you, I think the obvious answer would probably be, um, you know, Loyola Marymount, but the, I, I think they have so much inconsistency in their rotation at this point. Um, that it's just really hard for anybody to crack into that top four. Like, I think it's just, I think it's set at this point. Um, you know, and I I think at the, on the bottom half of that, I would love to see something out of Portland down the stretch, but, uh, it's for, for whatever reason that it has just been an, an absolute, uh, implosion this season for, for coach Leggins and, you know, it's it's unfortunate to see. Um, I hope he can turn that around. I did hear that they have some interesting recruits coming in from Australia next year. Uh, that should kind of, you know, inf- uh, inject some new talent into that roster. But um, yeah, I was I was hoping I would see more out of the pilots this year for sure. Yeah, I did too. But have been impressed with uh, freshman Tyler Harris. Um, mentioned him on one of the first pods of the season when he had back to back double doubles. I think to start his season. Um, but missed the last two games, um, struggled the two before that. Um, I mean, freshman wall, it happens. Um, yeah. I was talking about that with Deshane Montgomery, um, earlier today in the Mac and he's kind of still hit that wall. You know, he scored seven points tonight for Mount St. Mary's and, uh, c- comfortable loss to Quinnipiac. Love Deshane. Think he's going to be a stud, but freshman wall, it happens to everyone. And yeah, thank you so much, Josh. Do you have anything else? 
Uh, yeah, just, you know, uh, for your audience, uh, come check us out at the Zagaholic Podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, everywhere. Um, and then, obviously, I'm on Twitter at the Zagaholic. All right. Thanks, Josh, so much for coming out. We'll make Josh. sure to have you on again after thanks another Zag. Have a good one. All right. Jonathan. Tommy Bruner. 49, Dude, 49 points. Are we freaking serious? I, I know that it's double overtime, but 49 is 49. Dude, yeah. Wait, like 46 I, minutes and he scored 49 points. That's more than a point a minute. Dude's a bucket. I just yeah. like what's it called? What the funny thing about that is like when you when you told when you said Denver double overtime, like my instant thought was like, okay, how many did Bruner score? And so I like scrap scrambled this CBS to check and I'm like and I was still blown away with the number. By the way, like I'm watching Santa Clara right now, and like Adama Ball is absurd. No, he's amazing. Um, I love him. Tomorrow night, we're working on a guest. We haven't figured it out outside of Coach McGarvey. I, I could be joining the show late tomorrow. We don't even know what time we're starting the show tomorrow. I know, but I'm just saying generally I could be joining the show late tomorrow. Uh, yeah, but St. Mary's is all over University of the Pacific. Shout out Aiden Mahaney. He's got nine. Um, just you didn't you weren't able to do it last night. You know what it's time for. Go. Valley update. Read. Huh? Read the screen. Valley update, baby. I did, for some reason my eyes were not going to that. Okay, so interesting. Last two nights in the valley, we will start with the big upset that everyone was kind of surprised was Drake goes down to Springfield, gets handed a loss by Missouri State, eighty three eighty in double overtime. It was a thriller. Tucker DeVries was good, but Alston Mason. Guy that's been at Missouri State for a couple years, 36 points at five threes, was just insane. And after a good start to the year, Missouri State had kind of slowed down. But big win last night for Dana Ford's crew, who has lost a lot of talent over the last couple of years, actually, if you haven't paid attention to them. The hottest team in the Valley right now is not my beloved Indiana State Sycamores. It is the Bradley Braves. They lost five in a row, had some injury problems in that stretch, but have, n- have now won nine straight headed into Terre Haute on Saturday. They knock off Murray State last night, 71-63 at home. Great night for Connor Hickman, who's been great since he got back from injury with 12 points, was the Ken Palm at MVP, chipped in with four assists three rebounds and four steals as well. He's just an animal defensively, can play both guard spots. We saw that a lot last year with him too, as he kind of grew into that role. Malavai Leons continues to be one of the most consistent players in maybe the country, had 17 points, seven rebounds last night. Bradley continues to roll. We'll go to Indiana State next, because they are the leader in this conference conference right now at 8-1. and one and have been a national storyline with their offense. Josh Schertz being in coaching rumors. They they got scared last night. Had to go up to Chicago to play UIC, who has struggled a little bit this year. 
probably a, a bottom four program, maybe even lower in W in the MVC. Excuse me, we've been talking so much WCC tonight, but Indiana State does come away with the victory. They had a lot of trouble getting stops down the stretch. Isaiah Rivera, who's from Illinois, was great. Transferred back to UIC this offseason. Good night for CJ Jones as well. But Robbie Avila, of course, 26 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists. He continues to excel. And Isaiah Swope had 30 last night as well. Just was a complete bucket. Got them big basket after big basket. Indiana State, if they want to get in that large, they're going to have to just chip away and win games like this. And that's exactly what they did last night, despite an underwhelming result. Where should we go next? I believe we should go to Northern Iowa because they are winners of five in a row. After a tough stretch to the season, it was a brutal schedule to start the year, but a tough stretch. They lost to Evansville early early in the year, lost to Belmont, started 0-2 in the conference, but now sit at six and three in the league after the win against Evansville on Tuesday. Ben Jacobson, you know, you just never doubt him. I think it was Ryan Pedon at Illinois State who called him the Tom Izzo of the Missouri Valley last year, but they're getting more than just Bowen Bourne right now. Titan Anderson, 15 points last night, got to the free throw line for 14 attempts. That's just ridiculous. Bowen Bourne off night from three, but had 14 points, had five rebounds and two assists. Northern Iowa escapes an Evansville team that is much improved from last year, but still not at the level to beat the top Valley teams. How many more games do we have left here? I know we have Southern Illinois, Valpo, I think that, and and then the Belmont Illinois State game. Okay. So Southern Illinois, another team that kind of got scared last night. They are the top, they are probably the fifth best team in the Valley. I'd say right now, right below that top four, maybe top three, if you want to cut off Northern Iowa from that tier. Bradley, the way they've been playing is in that tier right now with Indiana State and Drake. But Southern Illinois, Valpo comes to town last night to Carbondale. They Salukis were losing early. Not a loss that they wanted to take. I mean, there's been some inconsistencies even with the Southern Illinois team last year when they had Marcus Domask and Lance Jones. It's one of the things I think people don't like about Ryan Mullins, one of the things people criticize, but I think he runs good offense. I think he does a good job recruiting in-state, getting good players into his program. Xavier Johnson had 27 last night, continues to be one of the best scorers in America, is a three-level scorer, can get a shot off from literally anywhere. And then they got a good night out of Troy D'Amico, who's a Chicago suburb kid, played at Notre Dame. 13 points for him, 14 for Trent Brown. For Valpo, Cooper Schweiger had had 20. Isaiah Stafford, who's their kind of all-conference level player, I don't know if he'll quite make like a second team, maybe, or a third, maybe a third team. I don't forget if the league gives out that third team award, but he's been good this year for them. And then the last game that we have to talk about, I've been actually really disappointed with Belmont this year. I try to be super positive about this league at all times, but the Bruins have lost four four in a row, just really not playing like a typical Casey Alexander team. They're four and five in the league. And then they, they go to Illinois State a couple nights ago. They lose by 10. Kay Tyson's been good this year, but I think I may have underestimated the Bruins losing Ben Shepard. I mean, he's an NBA player after all, was drafted. They still have talent. It's just they haven't quite been able to put it together like they did a lot last year. 
Miles Foster was the MVP of this game, had 19 points. Darius Burford, who's been so good this year, was an all-conference player for me at the start of the year. He's a really high-usage guy. He doesn't turn it over, and he scores at a pretty high level, despite not being a really good shooter. Dalton Banks chipped in with 11. Jordan Davis had 11 as well. Illinois State's got some sneaky talent. They're not obviously one of the top teams in this league, and they're definitely more towards the bottom. But they'll compete all year. They have competed throughout the year. It's a team to watch, for sure. That's your Valley Update. Let's get back to the show when Sam jumps back on here. How was that? that? Excellent. That was long. That was one of our best Valley updates of the year. We, we got to the um, we got to the Valpo Southern Illinois game. I'm like, man, I have two games left. It feels like I've talked forever. One thing Hashtag. I did forget to mention, by the way, real real quick before we move on from the conference, the top four teams in the league play each other this weekend. Indiana State hosts Bradley Drake. Um, host Northern Iowa, so it's a huge weekend for the league, will be crucial in deciding seeding. I could be – there's a there's a non-zero chance I try and reach out and get one of those coaches on at some point. I mean, I it's could do it. Like Probably – it's probably not going to happen given the stature of that league versus the stature of some of the other leagues that I've been reaching out to about coaches. Right. I mean, like, I think your probably best bet is, like, I might be able to talk to my dad on a couple of these guys. Actually. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll so. figure that out. We'll figure that out. But that is definitely a part of the show that I want to expand, get some more coaches on. Yeah. Excited for Coach McGarvey tomorrow night. We're working on getting some other coaches of some fun mid-major storylines um, on the show. <laughs> um, tomorrow night's games, there's really not a ton going on in college basketball tomorrow. But Michigan State plays Wisconsin. It's an 8 o'clock game. Initial thoughts on that one? Wisconsin's a really good team, man. I mean, I was pretty high on this team at the start of the year. Maybe not like as high as like my rankings indicated, but I still believe in Michigan State to an extent. Wisconsin already got them once in East Lansing. So, like, I wouldn't be totally surprised if Michigan State was able to go in there and get a win tomorrow. It's a Friday night game. Weird spot. I expect Wisconsin definitely is the better team here, but if Michigan State starts to get rolling down the stretch, I like wouldn't be terribly surprised. I thought they looked pretty decent the last couple weeks. I mean, so they nearly went to Illinois and won, and then they killed Rutgers at home, handled Minnesota, and like they went to Maryland, place that was pretty packed last last Sunday in a national TV game, and got the win there in a, in a gritty game. So it's like it wouldn't be. Very surprising at all if Michigan State really got rolling here. Yeah, um, another game tomorrow night. I don't think I've mentioned it during the streams, but believe it or um, don't look now, but St. Joe's is back at 500 in the 810. Back-to-back buzzer beater wins against good teams. Cam Brown had one on Saturday against Duquesne. And then, um, who was it? Lynn Greer had one on Tuesday night against UMass. Mm-hmm. They play at the Riley Center against St. Bonaventure tomorrow night, Friday 10. Um, that's a 8.30 start. My goodness. We we might not even get to cover that on the show. Um, do you have any thoughts there? 
Not a ton. What I will say is, like, I know Deron Holmes is going to be the player of the year, and deservedly so in the A-10. Like, not even really close. But, like, unless there's a name I'm not thinking of, Eric Reynolds should be second to him. He's so fun to watch. I mean, Jordan King at Richmond has been awesome. Josh Cohen at UMass and Keyshawn Hall. But, yeah, Reynolds is right there. Um, he's excellent. He was one of the guys in your three-point stat, right, that you used with Rocco yeah. the other night? No, yeah, he was. He was. And I don't I don't even think that, like, he's the best guard on that team in terms of long-term outlook. Who do you think is? I think it's Xavier Brown. All right. I think by the, I think by the time Xavier Brown is a junior – He'll be better than what Eric Reynolds is right now. Yeah, I mean his, I mean Xavier Brown shooting splits as a freshman is like pretty absurd. Yeah, no, and he was he was up to fifty percent on from three, and it wasn't long ago. He's he's awesome, huge fan. Yeah. Seen him twice. Also, seen that him twice to, in person. He's just so electric. Also, I forgot to um to mention this, Josh. And you kind of mentioned on like New Year's or not New Year's, um, Leap Day, um, this year. Did I t- have I told you about my plans for New Year's Day? Or not, right, I keep saying I keep saying New Year's. Have I told you about my plans for Leap Day this year? What? My friend Harrison Vapnik and I are currently planning to make the trip to Chesterfield, Missouri. You know what's in in Chesterfield, Missouri? No idea. It's the closest cheesecake factory to Columbia. <laughs> that might be the night where we bring them on the show. I don't know how late I'll be back. It's the night before March starts, so no, the show starts that night at twelve Eastern. All right, I'm I'm okay with that. He he might be a corpse by then, but <laughs> <laughs> what's your morgue story? Okay, so <laughs> this is crazy. I'm in class yesterday, and my professor is talking about this, like, doc that he did with about this guy in Texas. And, like, the, the guy is, like, apparently nuts and, like, owns, like, a thousand acres of land that he's turned into, like, this cemetery where you can, like, bury people for free. And, like, naturally, like, us talking about cemeteries, like, the word morgue got brought up and I'm sitting there back in the class, like while everyone's like super into this discussion and just thinking about Tony Patelis during this class. Oh my God. So good. Jonathan, you got to take us home. Yeah. If you came here to hear about Tyler Self's, employment you came to the right place if you came to hear about tony patella's antics you came to the right place and if you came to hear about caleb grill's life and what's going on with him you definitely came to the right place this is brackets bubbles bid stealers season four episode 34 we'll see you tomorrow night